The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with them. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear <clears throat> by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, help us to interpret Scripture, open our hearts and minds to think critically, and to have compassionate hearts. In your name we pray, amen. When we read and study Scripture, there's a couple different ways that we can read it, and they're both good. One way is called the hermeneutic of suspicion. And we were talking about this word hermeneutic at Bible study this week. It basically means your lenses, your lenses for how you see the world and how you read scripture is your hermeneutic. So one hermeneutic we can have would be a hermeneutic of suspicion, which is when we bring to bear hard evidence, archeological fact, world history to bear upon scripture, right? To really test it and to see what it's saying. The other hermeneutic we can use with scripture, we could call the hermeneutic of generosity, which is to say, I know there's something good in here for me to give me life. And we need both of those this morning with our scripture. 
Reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30 sounds very nice on its surface, but we should pause and really think about it because it appears to promise that the person and people who follow God's laws will prosper and live a long life. Sounds nice. But by this logic, anyone who's materially prosperous and reasonably comfortable must be a good person who has done the right thing in God's eyes. That should maybe give us pause for a second. And especially when we think about the over 20,000 people who have died in the earthquakes recently in Syria and Turkey. Certainly, they are not all guilty of breaking God's laws any more than you and I. In fact, there's probably a fair amount of people in that 20,000 who live more virtuously than me and you. And yet, despite having followed God's laws, they are suffering and have been traumatized. So the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible is the second giving of God's law to Moses and the Hebrew people right before they leave the wilderness and go into the promised land. That is the land of Cana, the land of Palestine. If you read your Bible from cover to cover, right after Deuteronomy and the second giving of the law is Joshua. Now, Joshua is an exciting book to read. It's a page turner, but it is absolutely full of violence, violent conquest by the sword. God's people, right after they cross the Jordan River, they start decimating everybody in the land, raising towns down to nothing. The story that you'll remember from this most clearly would probably be Jericho, the Battle of Jericho. You think everyone in Jericho was a sinner? I don't think so. And in fact, the one person that God made sure to save, Bathsheba, we don't know exactly what she did. So, there's only one problem with all of this. It is not backed up at all by archaeology. And this might come as a surprise to you, and it did to me when I was in seminary. My professor, Dr. Marvin Sweeney, taught Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, and Dr. Marvin Sweeney was a conservative Jewish man, a practicing Jewish man of the conservative denomination. And he told us, he said, I've been there. I've seen where they've done the archaeological digs around Jericho and other places. And when you dig down, there is no evidence that a nation of people came out of the wilderness and conquered lands. It's not there. He said, so if you take the archaeology serious, the scientific evidence, and if you study the Scripture with the broad consensus of scholars of the Old Testament think is that it's a constructed story, not the whole thing, but especially Joshua, that that conquest, a violent conquest, never happened. And what it is far more likely to have happened, the Jewish people came up. They are from Cana. 
They are Canaanites who grew up there and slowly over time, the Jewish religion as we know it emerged from within the land and especially established itself in Jerusalem. And so, warnings like the one that we read about in Deuteronomy served a political purpose to consolidate power around the temple in Jerusalem. The warning was, if you don't come here and worship the one God that we have disclosed to you, and by the way, bring your offerings, then you will be judged and you will suffer for it. That's the hermeneutic of suspicion, saying, I see what's going on here. And we can't just say that the only people that have ever done this would be in the Holy Land. This is what kingdoms do throughout history. A couple thousand years later, it's what happened in Rome. When Rome fell, they blamed it on the Christians. They said, our precious empire has fallen apart because of these Christians. They're worshiping this Jesus fellow, and you guys aren't worshiping the Roman gods, and so they've abandoned us, and that is why our Roman city and kingdom has fallen. And you get people like Augustine defending the Christian faith when it was under attack during that time. And even today, today the same dynamic plays out where you have Christian preachers in the United States saying right now, this very morning, and many churches saying that if this country doesn't repent, that if we don't all become better Christians, God is going to forsake us and our land will be conquered and fall. It's a, it's a tune that we hear over and over again. The hermeneutic of suspicion is what we get when we analyze Scripture in this way. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative reading? A more generous hermeneutic. Well, it's what we call grace. Grace is the view that we don't get what we deserve. In fact, most of the time, we get much better. You know what I think of grace like? I think about grace as a due date. I remember when I first became a father, and before the baby was born, we, we, I was hoping that I would become a father, and when Sherry and I went to the doctor, and, and he, you know, asked us questions and involving dates, and, you know, and then he says, okay, da-da-da-da-da, here's the due date. And as soon as he gave us the due date, he said, there's one thing you can be sure of. Your baby, when it is born, there's a 95% probability that it will, will it or will it not be born on the due date? It will not. 95% probability it's not going to be born on that day. So you're like, why is it even a due date? I think that's like God's grace, right? God's grace is to say, if, you're, if you calculate your actions and you say, this is what I deserve, you can be 95% sure you're not going to get what you deserve in this life. Just like we're 95% sure that a baby's not coming on its due date. In fact, the real miracle of a baby being born is life itself. 
That's grace. The fact that we get to be alive in the first place, that God made us, that God crafted us out of the dust and blew life into us, and Jesus resurrected and gave us forgiveness. That's grace. And what we get in this life sometimes is better than we deserve, sometimes it's worse than we deserve, but it is almost never what we deserve. And in a way, you know, this really, this really pushes our back against the wall. Because on the one hand, we don't get what we deserve. And on the other hand, if we break God's laws, there are consequences. Even an atheist would admit that. Even someone who denies the existence of God, they could look at the Ten Commandments and they could look at our most basic rules like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Even someone who doesn't believe in God can look at those and say, yeah, if you break that on a regular basis, people won't like you and there will be consequences if we don't care for our neighbors as we care for ourselves. So in the case of a natural disaster, like this earthquake in Turkey, nobody chooses to be in one of those. Nobody deserves to have that happen to them. And I don't know about you, but we've been talking about not if, but when an earthquake like that will come to our region and soberly thinking, how are we preparing, right? If we have faith that this will happen, then we ought to put that faith into action and to prepare. I recently read a history of Nicaragua, and Nicaragua, about every 10 years or so, has massive hurricanes go right across the country and just tear a path of destruction from one coast to the other. And in this history, if you look in, a, in about a 15-year span, two hurricanes came through. The first hurricane, when it came through, it was totally physically devastating. But at this time, the people of Nicaragua were very well organized. It was a very active civil society where people were talking to each other and they were engaged and there were neighborhood associations and free associations of people. So when disaster struck, they recovered. They, rec they suffered, but they helped each other to recover. About 10 years later, their situation had totally deteriorated socially. They were living underneath a dictator. People weren't given the autonomy to self-govern and to form free associations. And so when the hurricane came through that time, everything was top-down, you know, directed by big government, and they weren't able to recover as quickly. The difference between those two situations is what Jesus was talking about in our gospel this morning. The difference is whether or not we care for each other, and in Deuteronomy. In Matthew, Jesus says that if you are going to make a religious offering to God, it would be better to first go to anyone in our lives that we think we might have wronged and to make right with them anybody who we know who might be suffering to give relief, especially when it's suffering that they don't deserve, as most of the time it is not what they deserve. In other words, if we believe in God 
And if we want to give God something, we should consider actual living human beings as worthy as God. That is our supreme ethical mandate, to have faith. So this morning, we are living that out. I want to give a big thank you to everyone who came and brought your canned food items for the Super Bowl offering. And we have another opportunity during the communion time to give a love offering for relief to people suffering from the earthquake. We can choose life. Amen. I invite you to stand as you are able as we sing our hymn of the day.